This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. This is the day that you've made. Help us to not only hear what you're saying, but Lord, to live it out. Lord, we know the older we get, the more set in our ways we become. And Lord, we are aware of that. So Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to soften our hearts and soften the ways we have always done things and that we would align our ways of doing things according to your word. Lord, we are now have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. We are not our own. It's not about us and me. It is about you. And we say thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, so uh, we're going to be starting something new. Uh, It's very different from what we've ever done before, so please uh, follow along as the best way you can. I've been reading a lot of books. I tend to like to read books, and I've been reading a couple books that really challenged me And this summer, and I would love to tell you the titles of the book, but I'll butcher it. I'll tell you. I'll send you an email uh, there in my office, but they really challenge and and really encourage me in so many different ways. And I thought this would be great. The books uh, are talking about topics of the church and questions the church uh, need to answer. And typically when I preach, I'll preach out of a, a text and allow the text to determine the topic. Here at Mosaic Church, rarely do we let, you know, do we just pick a topic and then try to find verses Uh, to just shore that topic up. We want the text to determine the topic. So that's why we've done almost half of Genesis. Uh, We've done uh, Psalms, a Song of Solomon, uh, Daniel, Esther, Ruth, um, parts of Isaiah. Uh, We've done John, the I Am series. I can go on and on and on. Uh, We have been trying to allow the text to determine the topic. But this next few weeks, we're going to bring up some topics that I think that we need to answer as a church or be encouraged as a church. So I think I have some slides, but like, so today I want to talk to you about our, you know, church. Why church? The second is the authority of the Bible and its reliability. 
Is the Bible reliable? Is it something that we can uh, look, read, and follow? Or is it just mere words of some wise scribes? Uh, The existence of suffering, that's the hard one, isn't it? So many people I know have fallen away from their faith when suffering happens. So we're going to try to answer that in about three weeks. What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Something we don't, probably the last time I really talked about, I just want to make sure it's kids, okay? Uh, Sex is uh, probably when we did Song of Solomon uh, a few years ago. The reality of heaven and hell. We hardly ever talk about it. We do say it in the Apostles' Creed, and every blue moon will actually sing about it. It's my favorite song. We sang it two weeks ago. Hell lost another one. So, uh, Christianity and women. That's a good one. Does the Bible condone slavery? We've never actually talked about that. I feel like this would be a, a great time for our church to go over that. How can a loving God send people to hell? Have you ever had to answer that question? So we're going to try to answer that question. And last but not least, and these are not all of them, but this is for a little series, has science disproved Christianity? Now, I am not going to preach on all those topics. I'll, uh, I'll ask some people to help me out, but I will be preaching on most of them. I read an article years ago, and, it, and actually, if you just Google yourself, is it good to go to church? You should Google it sometime, and you'll get all sorts of articles. There's been research, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit. But you just Google yourself. If you want uh, the sources that I'm going to be making some statements, you could actually look it up yourself. It's, it's not a rare source that only I have it. Uh, you can look it up, some of the comments I will say this morning. But uh, in 2016, a Harvard School a public health professor, I can't say his last name, I can't pronounce it. I mean, I can say it, I'll mispronounce it. Tyler Vanderweele. And a journalist, John Smith, wrote a USA Today op-ed entitled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. If one could conceive of a single elixir to prove the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? And he goes on to talk about the mental and physical health benefits that are correlated with regular religious participation for most Americans. Going to church on a regular basis, according to research, reduces the mortality rate 20 to 30% in a 15-year period. So those who attend regularly attend service are more This is, again, this is the op-ed. More optimistic, have lower rates of depression, less likely to commit suicide, have a greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce, and have more self-control. However, you know, we don't have to look too far to look in the newspaper, another newspaper article that can show how religious belief can also cause harm. But when someone says that religion is bad for you, or Christianity is bad for you, they're not really basing it on data, maybe a personal experience. But it's also like saying 
drugs are bad for you, but it all depends what you mean by drugs, right? I mean, uh, if you have ibuprofen, that can be good for you. If we're talking about meth, that's bad for you. So we have to be careful and not be uh, duped to think that going to church is a bad thing because sometimes in our culture, we might hear things like that. So what is it about going to church that makes it going uh, awesome? Is it just because uh, I'm here? I, I, I don't think so. Well, that, that might be part of it. Basically, what they've come down to, is, this is not all of it. Again, this is not a science research paper, but these are data that's come to, uh, that's easily Googled. Part of the answer is found in relationships. And I believe the church fosters good relationships. One of the reasons we have an intermission is not solely so that people can go to the bathroom or people can, partly is so kid, uh, parents can drop their kids off downstairs, but also to foster relationships. The same direct, uh, the director of Harvard study, studies 75-year study of, of well-being, and it summarizes like this. Good relationships keep people happier and healthier. Keep happier and healthier. During the study, the recipients thought their happiness would depend on fame, wealth, and high achievement, but in reality, the happiest and healthiest people prioritized relationship, relationship with family, friends, and community. And we would say community in the church. What the study doesn't actually say, but it alludes to it, is that loneliness is lethal. It is a tactic of the enemy to make you and me feel as though we are the only ones going through what we're going through. That somehow we are so unique in our situation that nobody else wants to go with it. And it's typical. I've seen it happen many, many times. Maybe someone is discouraged. Maybe uh, a prayer that they thought should be answered in a certain way didn't. And, I could, and you can see it. I've seen it. I've been uh, in the ministry for 28 years, uh, 30 years, something like that and that people begin to isolate themselves. That is a tactic of the enemy, to get you to isolate. Well, I don't need to go. I don't want to participate. I'm not going to go to small groups. And, and begin to just kind of hide yourself and, and pull yourself because, uh, and then the enemy's like cheering you on. Yes, isolate yourself. Do not participate. Do not uh, find time to be part of a community of fellowship. Yes, loneliness can be lethal. Just ask any elderly person who's at a nursing home who's been isolated. So what makes the difference? What makes the difference? Part of the challenge we have is that in our culture, we resist being committed. Why? It's called fear of missing out. We fear of missing out. So we don't want to attach ourselves to a person. You know, the, 
the age of people getting married is later, later, later. And we don't want to attach ourselves to a fellowship. We don't want to attach ourselves to anything because I may want to, something better might come along. So in a culture where we prioritize choice over commitment, we resist being tied down because we fear missing out. We, we miss out on the most important things by having that kind of life. So today, I'm going to attempt in the next few minutes to encourage you to understand the importance of being part of a fellowship. And if you know me, and most of you know me well, this is not a message on how to grow a church. I'm not here telling you this so somehow our church can grow larger to help me feel better as a pastor. We don't play that game here at the church, here at Mosaic Church. Christ, we, we, we just listened to four-week sermons of the importance of seeing ourselves in God's plan. And the church is part of God's plan. I didn't watch the game last night, but I imagine that the coach, at least it would seem you would think, the coach had a plan, all right? And I imagine that plan, and I just heard about the last play, was to not allow the opposing team to score at the last second. But no doubt, I imagined, I'm not 100% sure, if we were to look at the tape, I imagine that some players probably had their own plan, and they didn't stick to the plan. And, and, and we all know what happened last night. But God has a plan, and he wants to be part of his plan. Where we have mature believers, we're not saying, God, I have my own plan, and I need you to come in and help me with my plan. We need to begin to read ourselves into the scriptures and not the other way around as we grow in the Lord. You know, when you're little kids, you're like, you know, God help me with, you know, I understand it, but as we mature in the Lord, we have to see how do I play a part in God's plan of redemption? What's my role in God's plan of redemption? And part of that is his church. We sang about it. One of my favorite songs. We sang about it, the birth of the church. That's part of the plan of the redemption. So being part of a local body of believers is being playing a part in God's plan. It's not for selfish reasons we do this, but for his reason. But I'm going to share some maybe some selfish reasons to be a part of his plan. One of the things that makes a difference, what makes church different than the local golf club or the disc club or the disc golf club or the, or the workout club or, or any different club? Because people gather together and they have community. But what is it about the church community that makes it different than the rest of the communities? I am going to just share some points with you that I think make a difference. And one of them is giving. Giving, it is better to give than to get. Amen? Are you sure? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. This goes against our cultural norm. 
our individualized success is based on a false premise that it is better to receive than to give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35. There is growing research that suggests that giving is good for us. Again, the, the main reason is that we get to be part of God's plan. We are living out what he desires for his children. But there's some research that also says, hey, there's some benefits, side benefits of giving. Volunteering has a great impact on one's mental and physical health. Caring for others has a psychological act of well-being when we give and volunteer and help others. Actively caring for others yields greater physical benefit. So when we ask for volunteers, and we need volunteers in every area of our church. It's partly, the main thing is that we want you to play a part in God's plan. But when you do that, not only are you glorifying him, there's some benefits to us that we get to, we get to act out exactly the role that God wants us to do is to be a blessing, not just to be blessed. There's something that God smiles upon when we give and we're not just takers. And that's so contrary to our culture. Now, there are many non-religious people who engage in giving. And there are many, sadly, self-centered, non-giving Christians. But the fact of the matter is, People who give are blessed. And I'm not asking for an offering. I am not talking about that. If you've been part of our church, you know that we don't, we don't ever do that. We're not saying, hey, if you want to be blessed, give. I've actually, I don't think I've ever said that until this very second. But you're blessed because you're acting out in God's global plan that you're playing a part of what Jesus designed and desires for his church. Just one aspect. Second aspect or second principle can be found in, um, in Matthew 19, 23 through 24. Jesus taught us that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than, than for a camel to go through an eye of the needle. For those of us who are raised in the United States, we have been raised on commercialism. That we think and we have been taught and we are still being taught that the more we get, the better our life will be. You have to get those, the latest car. You have to get the latest clothing, you have to get the latest whatever, you have to get the latest house, and when you do that, man, you're going to find that joy, that elusive joy, but I believe one of the reasons, as USA Today said, that going to church is good for you, is one, is that 
you are a, you know, part of being a Christian life is that you're a giver. But the second thing is that you reject that notion that money is going to buy you happiness. The Bible is very clear. It's critical of thinking that somehow wealth is the only sign or a sign of God's blessing. It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through an eye of the needle. The Apostle Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Timothy 6.10. But in this culture we live in, it's the opposite, right? You gotta make money to be somebody. And everybody... I don't want to say everybody. Most people want to be a somebody. And I understand it takes money to live. You got to live somewhere. You got to pay rent. You got to pay for gas and all that kind of things. But that love and that, that strong desire to just get more and more, you would think that the richest people would be the happiest people on earth. But it's not the case. So that's one of the things I believe is a benefit of being part of a, a body of Christ is that we're, we're being taught to be part of God's global plan, to play a part in his script, that we are to be givers, but also reject the love of money. I believe it brings a sense of peace. It brings a sense of happiness. And it, it forces us to get off that treadmill of self-seeking commercialism. Principle number three. Principle number three. In Colossians 23 through 24, Paul is going to challenge us. I want to write, I said here, this work is not work when it's a calling, and especially if your father was a carpenter. Work is not work when it's a calling. Work is not work when it's a calling. So think of your job right now. How do you look at it? As Christians, we believe your work is a calling. It's an opportunity. No matter where you work. And it it doesn't matter what you do. Work Christians are called to see work as part of their worship, whether designing buildings or sweeping the floors of that building. Paul, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians, look what he says to the slaves, a significant portion of the Lord's church that even in their work could be be a calling and exhorted them to put their heart into it and seeing themselves as working for the Lord. So whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord. We live in a strange world where we look down at people that do work. Something that triggered in my heart years ago, I remember, well, first of all, my dad was a maintenance man. My dad uh, was a custodian at an elementary school. Uh, most of my young life. And I remember going with him late at night. Uh, he would be sweeping the floors and I would be playing basketball in the gymnasium up in Huntington, New York. 
Maybe some people looked down on him because he was a custodian. But what I looked at him is that he had the opportunity to provide for his family. And that's something of worth and honor, to provide for your family. It's not what you do. You could be whatever, and if you're not caring for your family, what's it for? It's being selfish. So it doesn't matter what you do. You can do it for the Lord and unto the Lord, and we look at it as an opportunity of ministry. Christians are called to see their work as part of their worship. A University of Pennsylvania professor shares this parable. Three bricklayers are asked, what are you doing? The first one says, I'm laying bricks. The second says, I'm building a church. The third says, I'm building the house of God. And this is the professor's parable. The first bricklayer has a job. The second bricklayer has a career. But the third bricklayer has a calling. So one of these components that helps us as a community to live the life that God has called us is to look at work as a calling. Let me challenge you this morning. Whatever you do, Let's be honest, it can be easy, we can easily complain about it, right? I know this may sound weird, but sometimes I complain at my job as well, so. And it's a spirit you gotta be careful of. Whatever I do, I do it unto the Lord. I'm looking at my son, son-in-law here is a teacher, and I imagine you have to keep reminding yourself of that. I saw him yesterday, his voice was a little hoarse, and he goes, it's been a long day teaching middle schoolers. And this is not just a mind game, but it's really, truly understanding God's global plan, his long-term plan, is that, Eric, you're there as a calling. God has called you there. It may not be forever, but for that moment, God is going to use you if you have that right attitude. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be a doctor, you could be a custodian. It doesn't matter. Work is not work when it's a calling. The last thing, not the last thing, almost last. This was challenging for us. You could just see how the culture is counter to what I'm sharing. Principle number four is being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians. The Apostle Paul was in prison, yet he learned the secret of being content no matter what situation he was in, whether he was well-fed, whether he was hungry, whether he was living in plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this may sound weird, and I did some reading that some, and this is not the sour grapes principle. You guys know what the sour grapes principle is? Is that you want to grasp something and you can't get it, it's too far, and then you just convince yourself, well, those were sour grapes, I can't get it. And somehow that'll make you feel better. I am not talking about that. But we are able, by God's grace and through his Holy Spirit, 
no matter what circumstances you find yourself in or I find myself in, that God can strengthen us and give us a spirit of contentment no matter what situation we're in. And I want to challenge us as a church that this is something we need to allow to embed in our hearts, being content. The ability to take your situation and looking at it through the lens of Christ and finding peace and contentment in it. Yes, other religions like Buddhism, uh, they, they spend a lot of their attention in maintaining internal peace. But I believe the Holy Spirit can empower us to make us emotionally strong that we can live a life of contentment. I have lots of friends on, on Instagram and then on Facebook. Uh, it's partly because I've lived a long life. So I have lots of friends. Not as many as Rhea. Not that we're competing. Uh, but sometimes we would compete. We would, uh, her birthday is a week before mine. And so we would compete. When, when she worked with me, we'd like, who would get more likes, you know, for their birthday? And, and for many years, Rhea would, would, uh, would beat me and it would hurt me. Uh, but what I'm saying is that when I look on Instagram and I see friends of mine who are believers in Jesus constantly complaining about their circumstances, I, I, I get the idea that they have yet to understand what the Holy Spirit can do and give us a spirit of contentment. There seems to me, from my anecdotal looking on social media, there's a spirit of complaining and not of contentment. And I'm saying a mark of the church that brings us God's blessing and health, emotional peace, is understanding no matter our circumstances that we can find a spirit of peace and contentment. Not complaining, especially the last, <laughs> I would say the last year, it's been like epidemic. Good, strong Christian friends of mine who love Jesus somehow believe that complaining about whatever administration, you know, as I'm talking about multiple administrations the last two years, complete somehow will bring glory to Jesus. I'm just shocked. Where is the spirit of contentment and peace? So somehow the church, if we're living exactly what, how God wants us to live, that we'll be able to I like to use the word synthesize our circumstances with the Holy Spirit and find the spirit of contentment and peace. The Christian church should be the most contented, peaceful people. I found that my friends that are on social media, I'm, not, I'm trying to figure out what the motivation is. I think somehow... People feel like they're authenticated in their complaint and find some sort of solace in that. And I get that, you know. 
Uh, and I'm sure you can probably follow some of my social media posts. Somewhere there's a complaint. I, I, I can fall prey to that myself. But I'm praying that God would be our contentment, that no matter our circumstances, whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether we're free or in prison, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's either true or it's not. And I, and I choose and I'm praying to help me, Lord, to live in that truth, to live in that truth. Number five, they're all kind of bleeding to each other. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. First Thessalonians 5.16, the principle of rejoicing. When Paul wrote this, he was not writing from a comfortable, air-conditioned office like mine, but from a profound experience of suffering, beatings, being shipwrecked, rejected, sick, and on the verge of being executed. There is power in the Holy Spirit when we have a spirit of gratitude and apparently researchers have said that being grateful is good for you. A researcher did a study where there are two types of people. A person who journaled all the great things that they were grateful for and those people who journaled all the things that bugged them and concentrated on that and guess what happened? The people, and again, this is some research. It's, in a lot of ways, it can be anecdotal. It's not every circumstance. But generally, people who focus on being grateful lived happier lives. But why? I say because we're living part of God's plan. That no matter our circumstances, and everybody has circumstances. There's not a person I know that doesn't have circumstances in their lives. But we can allow the Holy Spirit to help us. This is not the last one, the next one, but it's a big one. Forgiveness. Luke 11:4. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sinned against us. Forgiveness Living and forgiving others is part of the plan. It's the master plan. Holding on to unforgiveness and allowing to masticize into bitterness is not part of God's master plan. And when we're walking in God's master plan, there's a blessedness that comes to us. When the disciples asked, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. He also taught us followers to forgive our sins, to, to forgive our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone else who is indebted to us in Luke eleven four. Even Jesus who was being nailed to the cross, prayed for the soldiers who were executing him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. 
Jesus lives out this understanding of forgiveness. Not only is it a command, it's also good. I used to uh, show a picture of a, um, and you might see some on, on North Monroe, of a homeless person. There's a homeless person I know that by the interstate that has a grocery cart. Slammed full. And other stuff. And they carry it around with them everywhere they go. And to me, that is a perfect picture of unforgiveness. Carrying all that unforgiveness, no matter where they go, it is always with them. It was a picture I showed of, it was a New York homeless person. Had 10 shopping carts that they were taking care of. No matter where they went, they had 10 shopping carts. And that's what unforgiveness looks like. You keep carrying that stuff. And God wants to set us free. He he wants to set us free. Uh, One of my favorite quotes, I don't know where it's from because I've been saying it for so long, probably for 25 years. But unforgiveness forces us to live in the dungeon of the past. Unforgiveness forces us to live in the dungeon of the past. We cannot walk in freedom when we're holding on to unforgiveness. It's a chain. It's a grocery cart filled with stuff, always following us. Now, I get there's a complexity to forgiveness. doesn't mean you just automatically trust You know, someone does something horrendous to you. It doesn't mean that everything goes back to the way it was. It means like I submit myself to God's plan to forgive and I release them into God's hands. And I refuse to live in the dungeon of the past. Now in the New Testament, forgiveness is tied to allowing God to take control. It doesn't mean we don't believe in justice. Rather, we acknowledge that the final justice lies in the hands of God. Christians are commanded to protect the weak, to protect the vulnerable, but we are also commanded not to seek out our own revenge or vindication. Christians must forgive as we have been forgiven. So I think one of the reasons it's good to go to church is that we're challenged to forgive. Because we don't want to walk out these doors carrying grocery cart filled with unforgiveness. It does not benefit you and your part in God's plan. I'm just thinking off the cuff here, you know, Michael's a football coach. I imagine certain positions, you, you don't want them to be too heavy, you know. I imagine you don't want a really, really heavy quarterback because what, it'll slow them down. It'll impede them from doing the work of a quarterback. And so when we carry that weight of unforgiveness, it impedes us from living out the life that Christ called us to live. So, 
What is awesome about being a part of a Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church is that we are challenged to live a life of forgiveness. It sets us free. It sets us free. I'm almost done here. Christians are commanded to protect the weak. We must forgive, but we must not fall prey to the desire for revenge. I've been there. Lord, get those gators. I was joking around with someone who's a gator fan that, uh, back in the day I used to be a gator fan and I'm thinking about switching, I'm just kidding. These are not all the points. These are not all the reasons that going to church, Christian church, following Jesus has positive effects, not only for our spiritual life, but our physical, emotional well-being. But that in itself does not prove that Jesus is the way. But it should do this. It should do this. It should encourage us that when the world or people say that church is no good for you, it's a waste of your time. You're wasting your time. You know that that's not the case. If you have a friend that thinks that, that following Jesus is a waste, it's, it's not good for society, I would challenge you to challenge them to do their own research. Now, if you're a believer this morning and you're convicted in any of these areas, in other words, you're not really a giver. You hold on to unforgiveness. You find it hard to rejoice. Contentment is elusive. I want to challenge you this morning that the Lord can help you. Maybe you just, uh, you're just one of the, you just hit, you know, you're just a disgruntled worker. <laughs> God wants to help you. He wants to help you. It doesn't mean you have to stay in that job for the rest of your life, but at the moment where you're at, providing for your family or for your, your own life, that God can use you in that circumstance. So if there's any of those areas that say, I can, the Lord can help me in those areas. I'd like to ask the Lord to do that right now. So um, I'm not going to ask the band to come. But I'd like for us to just bow our heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're so good that you see things that we don't see. You see things that are holding us back and keeping us from living that life that you desire for us. Lord, we want this church and the church of Jesus Christ to be a lighthouse where we want to live out a life that's, that would draw people to you, not to Mosaic Church, but to you, where we want to live a home life 
that will draw people to you, that they will see someone who forgives, someone who is content, someone who's grateful. And even in financial stress times, Lord, they give or they give of their time and they commit to your church, your bride, which is part of the plan that you provided for redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Eyes closed, head bowed, just real quick with the hands raised. I want to just pray with you and say, Pastor Murray, I could use some help in some of these areas. Yes. I'm raising my hand too. Help me. Lord, I say thank you for your loving kindness. Through your Holy Spirit, we ask help. Lord, just bring the scriptures to mind that we've already read throughout our lives. And Lord, that we would begin to live them out. Lord, help us to rejoice in the Lord always. Help us to live out. We can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, thank you, Father. Lord, be with us as we, in the next few weeks, we try to answer tough questions that people have. But Lord, we know that you are the answer. Lord, we pray for our families that are home, sick, or in quarantine. Lord, I pray for healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that everything that they do this week and everything that we do this week would bring you the greatest glory. No matter what we do throughout the week, Lord, help us to bring you the greatest glory. We love you, Father, and in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.